Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. This is what Bloomberg Surveillance is all about. Edward Morse with us of Citigroup with his work on international relations, geopolitics, and, of course, commodities uh, for uh, the bank. Ed Morse, expect the unexpected, or maybe the shocks come away from the certitude of looking at Syria or that. I'm looking at a dollar Turkish lira of 417, which screams to me instabilities. What's the instability in the region you're focused on uh, as you use all of the research capabilities of your bank? I don't know where to start on this. Uh, there's, um, you know, putting aside what's happening with the Turkish lira, these are all economies in the Gulf that are pegged to the U.S. dollar. Uh, they benefited remarkably by uh, what's happened with the price of oil. Um, the pressure on them to depeg has gone away. Um, uh, and uh, what's next is really, you know, well, how are these economies going to adjust to this new world of uh, right. getting out of oil. It screams shuttle diplomacy, except we don't have a secretary of state to get on the shuttle, right? Uh, not yet, and it remains to be seen whether he's going to be confirmed by the Senate. What do you make of the price action that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Said Because I'm looking at this risk-off move, and I'm saying risk-off with uh, inverted commas on either side, because tr- treasuries a bid, yes, but yields are down like three basis points and dollar yen's off by about a third of 1%. And I think if you looked at the equity market alone, you would think something very vicious has been happening in the market over the last couple of weeks. But everything else seems to be holding up cross-asset. And I think, Tom, what's been really interesting over the last couple of weeks is that this risk-on, risk-off regime of the last few years has changed. It used to be sell equities, buy treasuries, in a proportional amount and do the same thing with the Japanese yen. And I don't see that in the same way anymore. What's changed, Ed? Well, one of the things that's changed, we haven't talked about it, is that commodities actually outperformed both equities and bonds in the first quarter. Uh, that's something to keep your eye on. Uh, and we can talk a lot about that. Another thing that's changed is the, I think there's been an acceleration of risk on, risk off. One of the things to worry about is with this risk on, risk off have been Massive inflows of debt uh, issuance and uh, and equity investments into emerging markets and out of emerging markets, and that's uh, that's also flirted with the the notion that growth is not quite as stable as it might be. So, when you look at the situation worldwide, do you actually see a firm macro backdrop? Because there are some people starting to question that. I imagine I'll speak to many investors today, and I'll talk to them about this geopolitical risk story. And they'll say, sure, in the short term, it's it's going to be a sentiment-driven story, what this means for markets, expect some more volatility. But the fundamentals will reassert themselves. Earnings season's going to start, and the macro backdrop is still firm. Is the macro backdrop still as firm as people say it is? Well, it looks like it's, it's fraying at the edges. There are a lot of data points that are coming in that show weakness, that show that uh, growth may in fact be impacted. And that's that's the problem of, of the brinksmanship that we're seeing on the trade front, where brinksmanship, when you, when you draw lines in the sand and somebody you know, says they're not going to uh, budge, what do you do? What would you say to General Mattis right now? I don't know what you say to the State Department. I'm sure I don't know what you say to the... 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but with all of your years of experience, what do you say to the Secretary of Defense and to our military? 
Well, they're they're the last bastions of consensus uh, politics, and and you've got to assume that the military, given their organization, are going to toe the line. So uh, that's the encouragement that they need, and that's the voice of reason uh, that's that's required. I mean, within that is the surgical strike certitude that we've all seen within modern warfare. You know, whether it was the advent of air, the air force, or whatever, we can be surgical. In your experience of the Middle East, surgical really doesn't work, does it? No, the the, the danger in the Middle East, and and maybe you know, maybe there's something that will uh, will uh, will uh, unmask uh, yeah. uh, what's happening. But uh, now, Russia's an economy that's slightly bigger than the state of Florida, slightly smaller than the state of New York, and they've been really? managing to do something on the global front. Uh, partly because of what's happened with their relationship with yeah. Saudi Arabia on the oil side, that that has made them seem a lot more powerful than they actually are. So, Ed, so maybe we're going to see something Edward, resulting from that. Edward Morris, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate uh, your effort to come in today for an extended period with Bloomberg Surveillance. Dr. Morris, of course, with Citigroup, uh, running all of their commodity uh, work. With us right now, Gary Schilling on inflation. Gary, the big deal right now and with the data here in 40 minutes is the base effect. The base effect is where the 13th and the 14th and the 15th month drifts away. How do you respond to people saying, well, inflation is going to be higher because of the base effect? Well, it, there, there certainly is an effect. I mean, if you go back 12 months, of course, it was reverse, it was reverse and that's what you're that's what you're talking about, but I think it's more important to concentrate on the future and what are the basic forces there. And, you know, we're in a globalized world. There's a lot of deflationary forces there. You're seeing uh, lower inflation in medic medical care and education. Uh, you're seeing Amazon, what they're doing to bricks and mortar stores and prices. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think they're just, there are a lot of Downward well, pressures. <clears throat> let's rip up the script here, folks. That's what we do on Bloomberg Surveillance. John Farrow <laughs> demands I do it once a day. Gary, you went there. It is stunning, the second derivative of empty stores in this nation. Everyone, even his, his arch-angry opposites, agree with President Trump. There's a lot of empty stores. How does that market clear, a wise one? Well, uh, one would hope in, in, in a lot of areas they tear down the buildings and make parking lots. <laughs> but, but, you know, you, but you, rental you, price can come down. Yeah, yeah of, of, and course, tax of revenue, course it can. Right? And that's a very he heavily leveraged business, Tom, as you know. And so there's no reason that those rental rates can't come down. But, you know, the, the, the reality is it isn't going to get any, any easier. I mean, you, you pull out your, your, smart, your smartphone, you got an app there, you push a couple of, a couple of buttons. And you can find the absolute lowest price. In other words, there is no ability to compete on price. Everything okay. is a commodity. But within years, decades of experience at Merrill Lynch and inventing market economics, I'm going to say with Ed Hyman, uh, as well, maybe Ed Yardeni I'll throw in there uh, as well, Gary Schilling, how do you clear an absolutely unique debacle in real estate, which is what we all observe. Everybody listening to this program, coast to coast, is observing it. Well, that what happens is that at at a, at a low enough price, uh, those buildings are worth something. 
they, you have to convert them to alternative spaces. Now, that's what's happening to malls today, of course, because you're seeing they put in fitness centers, they put in restaurants, uh, they put in, they put in uh, <clears throat> movie theaters and so on. But that still means that they don't replace them at the same rental rates because anchor stores uh, generate a lot more traffic and they support a lot of the small jewelry stores and stationery stores but, and the severe. So you have to knock the price down. In other words, there the is rental a clearing, rate there has is a to market clear, clearing price. And the taxes that the landlord pays have to clear at a lower rate, right? Well, that's that's right. And, of course, this <clears throat> what this does is it puts a lot of pressure on everything. It puts pressure on the municipalities, as you yes. point out, because of the taxes. It puts pressure on the area. You look at a lot of, of areas in this country, and tremendous amount of, sub, of, of, of suburban housing, real estate, is around malls. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, where I am, Short Hills, New Jersey, they built the Short Hills Mall uh, basically – to uh, to uh, Prudential did this because they were developing a huge amount of land around there for residential right after World War II. And that mall was really there to, in effect, attract people into this residential area. And that's obviously far from unique. So you do have a lot more than just the retail oh. stores, particularly in the case of the malls. To switch here back to showing 101, do you stay in your newsletter with lower rates and in how low is the, is there a new low I should say for Gary Schilling? Is it a higher low? <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I've been of the opinion that we would get to 2% on the 30 year bond and 1% on the 10 year. And I, I don't see any reason to change that. I, I just think there's an awful lot of, we're in an excess supply world and I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. Labor markets are tightening up in this country. But unless we're going to, uh, unless Trump is going to build not only a wall on the Mexican border, but a tariff wall completely around the country, yeah, you're really you're really faced with a whole globalization effect. It's a huge call, Gary. What's the what's the time horizon for that call? Because I think many people would say if it's the next recession, then I think a lot of people might say that could make sense because we hit around the 150, 140 mark on a 10 year, and we weren't in a recession. So is it the next recession you're thinking about, or is it in this cycle? What's the time horizon for the call? Well, uh, one of the great forecasters of history said you should forecast what will happen or when it will happen, but not both. <laughs> but not both, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not dumb enough to put an put a exact timeline on that, John, but, but I, I, I do think that is in the cards. And you say, I mean, you, you, look at this, you look at the situation today, and given the fact that everybody's screaming about tight labor markets and – and that's where inflation ultimately ultimately starts to resize. And and where are you? You you know you're below three percent on the thirty year. The characteristics of the treasury market has adapted somewhat in the last couple of months, though. On a morning like today, with futures down quite hard, you've only got a bid that comes into treasuries that generates a move of negative three basis points. We're down three basis points on a U.S. ten year. Now, in in risk off of previous years, we might have been down down ten, perhaps even fifteen. We aren't seeing these big haven flows rush into treasuries in periods of risk aversion. Something's changed, Gary. Can you put your finger on it? No, you're right. As a matter of fact, our, our, uh, our April newsletter, I, I, I look at that because it is, it is, it is strange. Because when, when you saw the, uh, starting in early February, when you saw the collapse of the, of the, uh, of the volatility trade, the VIX trade, uh, you did not get the normal rush into treasuries and gold. And I, I think there are offsetting things. I mean, one is people are worried about in, inflation. They're worried about big government deficits. And, of course, you've, mm-hmm. got, the, you've got the at least $1 trillion over 10 years for the 
uh, tax cuts and another $300 billion for the two-year uh, two uh, uh, spending bill. And then behind that, you got the retiring post for our babies, Social Security, Medicare, uh, funding those things. And then, it, and, and we talked about this on TV earlier, Tom, about, about, uh, 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 about uh, uh, down-the-road military spending and infrastructure. You got a lot of things. And now, I don't think those are going to be that. I, don't, I, th- I think the, the treasuries will, uh, they'll, they'll find homes and rates will be lower. But there's a lot of concern about that right, right. now. And I think this is, this is holding off uh, what normally yeah. would be a, a greater rush. Finally, Dr. Schilling, the zeitgeist is three to four rate increases this year. It's April. We're dashing to May, I believe, is the schedule uh, right now. Does that crack? Do we, do we, do we reset? With all the discourse and the finessing of message, do we? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you see, like June, July, August? Yeah, I, 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 I rather suspect there will be a dialing back. I mean, again, the the, the Fed does want higher rates. They they'd like to have some higher rates to cut when the next recession comes around, as John was pointing out. Uh, you you also have the the tremendous concern about the speculation. T- take a look at Bitcoin and everything mm-hmm. in in between that. Uh, uh, hedge funds, uh, private equity people are, are so zealous for yield, and the Fed Fed worries about that. Uh, but at the same time, they've they've got this lack of inflation, and and that that really is bothering them. Now they've they basically have said this is a one off deal. Uh, you know, Yellen kept saying it was it was a matter of the uh, of the uh, uh, cell phone rates coming down, and then medical care, uh, uh, Medicaid, uh, etc. Powell has adopted some of right. the same policy. But when you get a series of one-offs, after a while you say that's a trend. No. Gary Schilling, thank you so much this morning. Greatly You're value welcome. the time on Bloomberg Television and Radio with Bloomberg Surveillance. Before we had presidents tweeting... We had people writing thoughtful books about oh, people David who were changing things. Yeah, indeed. Which David. would be David Kirkpatrick. And, of course, many of you that know me know my rave review of the Facebook effect. It is not a dated book. It is a wonderful window into a young Zuckerberg. Your book, The Facebook Effect, we've moved on from that, haven't we, David? It was a different <laughs> moment Yes, well, we're too. having a Facebook effect. I think that could be absolutely agreed upon. But <clears throat> certainly my book was, you know, an introduction to a company that, you know, the book came out originally in 2010. Yeah. So uh, people really didn't even realize it was important at that time. What, what really brought their attention to it was the IPO, of course. And it, it you know, did well then, and then it dropped because they didn't get mobile. Then right. it came back, and Zuckerberg showed great leadership in that period. But I think what we've really learned and what I think even he's learned even this week, is that he hasn't shown enough leadership when it came to certain key things around privacy and security. And, you know, it's, it's shocking to me that they made so many oversights when it came to that area. But I will say, listening to the hearings yesterday and spending too much of my time thinking about this company, I am relatively cautiously optimistic that they are moving in a direction that will be extremely productive for them and for society, because that's where we've gotten to, that it's the relationship with society is the thing that matters with Facebook. They are that globe-spanning, that influential in our daily lives. David Kirkpatrick, uh, I'm just curious, if you were covering any other company, 
And there had been a situation in which years prior to an event, there was a mess up of this magnitude that caused the CEO to have to appear before Congress. And there was an actual paper slash email trail that connected various executives. To I know meeting. where you're going. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I don't know about you, but in most companies, someone gets shown the door. Yes. Who's accountable That's here other than someone saying, I'm sorry? I don't think well, that lets you keep your job in most companies. Here's the, one of the many oddities about Facebook, which is one of the reasons I chose to write a book about it, because I really felt that it was a unique company from the beginning, is that there really is only one person who's accountable for everything. And, and that really does change the calculation in a situation like what you're describing. So it really is, in some central sense, Zuckerberg's fault that all this happened. He didn't put the priorities where he should, and ultimately he unilaterally and solely sets the priorities at Facebook, which let's acknowledge for a company okay. that is worth half a trillion dollars is but, a very weird thing. You know, everybody shows, I think I saw you on MSNBC or CNN, David, everybody shows this guy an intense conversation with the one guy he can talk to, who's David Kirkpatrick. Chapter six, <laughs> uh, talk to me enough, chapter six of your book, David, Becoming a Company. Every single business person listening to this program is going, you got to be kidding me. You got this kid running the show. He's a billionaire. Great. Congratulations. Ms. Sandberg is messaging 24-7. Who's the adult that can come in and shift this company to proper business practices? You mean then or now? You're talking about now. Now. No, he, he, he needs some. I will agree with you. He needs somebody, you know. I was actually, you know who I suggested the other day? Please. Uh, in Jerry Brown. Because it's not really a business leader that he needs. Now, Jerry Brown's got a job. We know that. But the point is, he needs somebody of that degree of gravitas that he can't ignore, who, you know, he would still be somebody who had no real power because Zuckerberg controls <clears throat> literally everything. But he needs, he needs gray hairs in there who really understand the way the world works and share some of his idealism about how the world ought to be, but that who are capable of saying to him, right. Mark, <clears throat> listen to me, this is right. wrong. Pim, I mean, David just described David Kirkpatrick. <laughs> well, well okay, if Jerry Brown won't take the job, maybe David Kirkpatrick will. Well, I, I, you know, it's funny because I, I sometimes, this is arrogant perhaps, but sometimes I think that I am in a role since I'm 65, I've been around journalist, business journalist 34 years or whatever, when, sometimes I think I'm trying to give them a message. And when I interviewed him on stage at the Techonomy Conference in two days after the election in 2016, yeah. which is when he said his fateful fake news comment that got a lot of this inquiry, you know, and, and this controversy mm -hmm. started, I asked him four times, did Facebook have a unique responsibility for, given its scale, given its impact in elections, right. given the power of the news feed and media? And I used that word four times. He never used the word in response. Uh, well, if you read his stuff now, he, all he says is responsibility. He doesn't want to listen until he's ready to yeah. listen. That's the thing about uh, David Kirkpatrick, the author of The Facebook Effect. Right now, Kevin Cirilli with us, our chief Washington correspondent. Kevin, have you ever seen the cot, the proverbial cot that Speaker Ryan sleeps on at the House? I have not. 
to be completely honest. Uh, I have not seen his cut, but I can tell you that uh, yesterday I spoke with a, a Republican lobbyist who told me, hey, have you heard about the Speaker Ryan's timing rumors uh, that we could get this announcement, you know, because he has to declare by next Friday whether or not he's going to seek re-election. Uh, so this has been whispered about yeah. in the halls of Congress for quite some time, but it, it's the timing of the announcement. Uh, right. This day in particular, <clears throat> I find, you know, I mean, it's just such a crazy well, day already with Syria well, the news flow is overwhelming. We have to change it here in the next eight minutes, 32 seconds. Uh, but Kevin <laughs> Cirilli, uh, when, when we look at this and we compare and contrast to other House speakers, and of course, Mr. Boehner of Ohio, was he run out of this job? Look, I, I don't know if he was run out of his job in the way the Speaker or Speaker Boehner was, but I do think that it, it, it's worth noting that back on the campaign trail when I covered candidate Donald Trump, and we went to Speaker Paul Ryan's district, they were booing Paul Ryan. Donald Trump was on stage and had them booing Paul Ryan at the mention of his name. So the relationship between Speaker Ryan and President Trump has been tense, putting it mildly, for quite some time. Uh, They were never really big fans of each other. And even, I can tell you this, like the aides that I talk with to President Trump Still don't like Speaker Paul Ryan. Kevin Cirilli, uh, I don't know where, where where you want to go. Do you want to talk about the Wisconsin first and who takes uh, who takes the seat, or uh, what happens to all those committee ships and the uh, the actual running uh, of the legislative branch uh, now that uh, Speaker Ryan has already said that he is not going to be returning to the halls of Congress. Well, so this is where it's interesting because we talk about the different political factions within the Republican Party all the time, but a lot of these new uh, factions and political alliances in the halls of Congress have really been dramatically redrawn, and the spheres of influence, particularly within the last uh, 24 months, have really been shifting. And and, and look no further than than Speaker Ryan's political alliance with Ryan Priebus, and uh, and uh, uh, as well as that former apparatus, Sean Spicer. Wow, talk about having a Wednesday moment. I couldn't remember Sean Spicer's name. Sean Spicer, Paul, Ryan Priebus, and Paul Ryan were, were really right. a trio mm-hmm. about town when I was coming up as a cub reporter. Right. To see them essentially <clears throat> be irrelevant right now, not irrelevant, but to see them really eclipse right. is remarkable. Well. Um and the Freedom Caucus is going to be pouncing on this. Well, Kevin, I, was, I was just going to say, I'll offer up the tweet that President Trump has. It's just a Wednesday put out moment for the right. president. And, you know, when you were a cub reporter, I don't know, maybe they didn't even have Twitter and you didn't have to follow us on a regular basis. But We've always is, had Twitter. I'm dating myself. All right. <laughs> in short pants. Um, uh, uh, just a, a minute ago, the president tweeting that Speaker Paul Ryan is a truly good man. And while he will not be seeking reelection, he will leave a legacy of achievement that nobody can question. We are with you, Paul! Exclamation point. So who takes over for Paul Ryan from the Wisconsin first? Well, he would like to see Kevin McCarthy or Steve Scalise replace him. President Trump has developed personal relationship with Congressman Scalise. You'll remember, of course, the tragic baseball shooting several months ago. Uh, and uh, they, they've had a, a close relationship. On the flip side of that, I spoke with an aide to the Freedom Caucus just within the last hour who said that they're carefully watching this. I anticipate any developments out of the Freedom Caucus within the next yeah. 24 hours. 
Uh, but but there's going to be a tension. I would just also note, and you guys know this, the, the Trump world, they're preparing and, and folks are preparing for a blue wave in the fall. But there's going to be some new voices from ultra-conservative districts throughout the country who are fully aligned with President Trump and everything he stands for. They're Trump okay. Republicans. And they're watching this, and they view this as an example of being drained the swamp. One of the texts that right, but Kevin, Kevin, one of your great charms is you're in Capitol Hill a lot. It's damaged you. We understand that, but you get the zeitgeist to the hill. Is Kevin McCarthy going to be anointed and assumed to be Speaker of the House, or is there just a Republican, a GOP tone that he's running to be the minority head? That's a great point. Well, here's what I can tell you. Mark Short, the president's top legislative affairs director and uh, uh, lieutenant on Capitol Hill, so to speak, uh, was wanting to be seen outside of the Mark Zuckerberg hearing yesterday. He walked while he was on the cell phone past the line of cameras that uh, was engulfing that Hart Senate hearing room. And he went into a private meeting with Senator John Cornyn, Republican from Texas. And that, I think, shows the level of savviness that this White House is trying to exert and the pressure behind the scenes of the Republican leadership who will be meeting with President Trump at the White House later this evening. They're definitely making a play for this, but we don't know where they stand. But there's no question President Trump has had frustrations with Speaker Ryan and Republican leadership in the past and Charter Leader Mitch McConnell, for that matter. Uh but, you know, and I would also note that uh, minority leader, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer released a statement saying, hey, Speaker Ryan's on chain now. Let's hope that he well, breaks ties from the ultra-conservative and also puts pressure on President Trump. Let's switch gears. Right. A, headline, I, I, a headline, Pim Fox, Rand Paul of Kentucky. Well, that's going to just uh, offer this up. You, know, you talk about uh, Twitter and uh, Senator Rand Paul saying, quote, promising war by tweet insults not only the Constitution, but every soldier who puts their life on the line. Uh, we now seem to have, a, you know, government by tweet. And uh, Kevin Cirilli, does the uh, president's uh, position on Syria and possible military action uh, make it that much more difficult to have any real uh, sort of political consistency when it comes to any anything having to do with legislative achievements? No. Right before I came on air, right before uh, Riley Dabbs called our awesome producer here, she, uh, I, I spoke in the hallway with Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican from South Carolina. He called this a quote-unquote defining moment for this presidency, uh, and he's hoping that it's not just a, a one-time military strike, but part of a broader, more articulated plan. Obviously, you can't articulate a military plan in full on Twitter with regards to Syria, but I can tell you that every Democrat I've spoken with, Senators Warner, Blumenthal, uh, Democrats from Virginia and Connecticut, respectively, as well as every Republican, uh, with the exception of the likes of people like Senator Rand Paul, fully support some type of military response in response to the chemical attack uh, on Assad. I just spoke with Representative Diane Black, a Republican from Tennessee, uh, who is also saying that this Syria issue has to be dealt with. Uh, military forces is something that is, military strike rather, mm -hmm. is something that is fully on the table, and many people are anticipating within now, the next 24 hours. Kevin, thank you for the good work this morning. Is our chief Washington correspondent, Mr. Cirilli, with us on television and radio. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. 
Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.